Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, are you happy to be here? Well, I'm really glad you're here because if you weren't, I'd be up here all by myself. So I'm so excited to be with you and worship with you today. And uh, as we finish this series, uh, Win the Day. Now, on November the 13th, 1946, a single prop engine airplane took off from Schenectady County Airport with what would really be a very unique payload, which was six pounds of dry ice and a pretty unique mission. The pilot was a chemist named Vincent Schaefer who had been conducting some secret experiments at the GE Research Laboratory. Using a GE freezer chilled to sub-zero temperatures, Schaefer created clouds using his breath and as condensation and seeded this man-made cloud with dry ice. The dry ice crystallized and a chemical reaction caused, what do you think? What do you think it caused? Snow. It caused snow to form in the freezer. So a few months later, it was time for a field test. So Schaefer rented the airplane, flew it up to a cumulus cloud, and dumped the dry ice. Eyewitnesses down on the ground said it was almost like a cloud exploded. The subsequent snowfall was visible for 40 miles away. The GE uh, staff uh, sort of had a little fun with this as they uh, publicly pronounced Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pittsfield. Next week he walks on water, you know. But the science of seeding clouds is a marvel of modern science. But the idea is as old as the prophet Elijah. And today we're going to see how Elijah seeded the clouds. Again, we've been in this series called Win the Day, and based off of Mark Batterson's book uh, by the same title. And in that book, Mark Batterson shares seven habits or biblical principles which help us stress less and achieve more. And we've talked about six of those habits. I wonder if you can help me remember what those were in order. I'm going to, this is going to be sort of like that game where, you know, I'll do some symbols and you give me the answer, okay? So we're going to go in order, all right? First of all, Flip the script. Very good. Next is kiss the wave. Next is eat the frog. Some of y'all really like that one. Uh, the next one is fly the kite. The next one is cut the rope. And last week we talked about wind the clock. There you go. And today it's time to seed the clouds, which is habit number seven. And the big idea for our message today is this. So today what you want to see tomorrow. There are things that we need to do today, habits we need to be using today to achieve what God's purpose is for us tomorrow. This is a lesson we learned from Elijah. So let's look back at that story of Elijah. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king, 
As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, as we read that today, some of us may be a little upset. Why in the world would Elijah, a godly man, pray for a drought to come on the land? The problem was that the people had been led to worship the god Baal and Asherah by their king and queen. You see, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had promoted the worship of Baal and Asherah, thus bringing upon themselves the wrath of God. Not only had they promoted the worship of these false gods, but Jezebel had been actively seeking to kill all the prophets of God. They had set themselves in direct opposition to God and to his kingdom. So Elijah confronted them, which I would say to you is a pretty courageous thing to do when you know that Jezebel is trying to kill all the prophets of God. But he pronounced this curse upon the land. He wanted the people to recognize that Baal and Asherah were no gods at all, that there was only one true God. So when God withdrew his blessings and the prophets of Baal and Asherah through all of their shenanigans could not change the drought, the people would realize that God is the true God. So it didn't rain in Israel for three and a half years, just as Elijah had predicted. And we understand that that's when and where and why the prophet Elijah went up on top of Mount Carmel and seeds the clouds. Now God sent Elijah back to Ahab three years later. And we pick that story up in 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Again, understanding that Elijah was God's prophet, and understanding the danger that he was in, because Jezebel wanted to kill all of the prophets of God, Elijah readily went. And when Elijah saw Ahab, Ahab accused him of being a troubler of Israel. But Elijah reminded Ahab, verses 18 and 19, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So everybody agreed. They met up on Mount Carmel. And Elijah put this challenge out to the people and to these false prophets. He said, well, look, uh, there are 450 of you prophets of Baal And I'm the only prophet of God. Let's see whose God is the true God. You build an altar, put your bull on it, and you place it on the altar, and I'll do the same. And we'll both pray to our gods, and you pray to your gods, I'll pray to my God, 
And the God who answers with fire will be the true God. And they all agreed. They thought this was a great idea until it wasn't. So they prepared their bull. They put it on the altar and they called out to Baal from morning till noon. Nothing happened. They started dancing around, shouting louder and louder and louder. And Elijah even mocked them. He said, maybe your God is in deep thought. Or maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and louder and louder. And then when that wasn't working, they began slashing themselves with swords and spears, frantically calling out to Baal to consume the sacrifice. But still, nothing. Crickets. Finally, Elijah called the people over. He said, hey, folks, they've, they've done their thing. Now it's my turn. He built an altar with 12 stones, each stone representing a tribe of Israel. And he told the people, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built that altar and he dug a trench around it. He put a bull on top of the altar and he had water poured on top of that altar three times. And the water was so much that it ran down and it filled the trench that was around the altar. And then he prayed this simple prayer in verses 36 and 37. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And all of a sudden, fire came down, boom! Can you imagine being there, feeling the heat wave from that? It consumed not only the sacrifice, but the wood that it was uh, built, the altar was built with, and the stones and the soil, and licked up the water that was in the trough. Man, bam! And when the people saw this, you can imagine, they fell on their faces before Elijah, and they cried out, Lord, the Lord is, He is God, the Lord, He is God. And afterwards, the false prophets were seized and put to death for leading the Israelites astray. Now we go down to verse 41. After all this has happened. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink. For there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Elijah, or Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stopped you. 
And meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and the heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I sort of love this subplot. We're not sure what route Elijah ran, but it would have been no less than 17 miles. Could have been as many as 30 miles. How many of you run? How many of y'all are runners? Okay. Now, we don't read where Elijah ran a lot, and we don't exactly know how old he was, but he wasn't any you know, young chicken, you know. So here's an old guy who is running for 17 to 30 miles and he beats Ahab's chariot. Elijah ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Now I'd say that's pretty impressive. Have you ever been so excited that you had that kind of burst of energy where you just had to go, you're on top of the world. I was there yesterday for a few minutes, and then it started crumbling. (laughs) If you don't care about basketball, you don't know what I'm talking about. But finally, the people saw what he had always known to be true. Jehovah God, the God he served and worshipped, he is the true God. And now the people could no longer doubt that God was God and that Elijah was his prophet. Now, let's dive into habit number seven. How do we seed the clouds? Well, first, we seed the clouds with divine imagination. Secondly, we seed the clouds with patient persistence. And then third, we seed the clouds with bold prayer. So let's go back to that first thing. We seed the clouds with divine imagination. In other words, the Spirit of God gives us an imagination. He gives us a dream. He gives us something, a goal to be thinking about. More than half a century ago, Dr. Alfred Tomatis was confronted with the most curious case of his 50-year career. He uh, had a renowned opera singer who had lost his ability to hit certain notes, even though those notes were well within his vocal range. He had been to see many of the other specialists, all of whom thought it was a vocal problem. But Dr. Tinnitus, or Tomatus thought otherwise. And so using a sonometer, Dr. Tomatus discovered that the opera singer was producing, get this, 140 decibel sound waves at a meter's distance. Now friends, that's pretty loud. That is louder than a military jet taking off of an aircraft carrier. Long story short, the opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. He could no longer hit the notes because he could no longer hear the notes. Dr. Tomata said the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. The French Academy of Medicine dubbed it the Tomatus Effect, and the ramifications are pretty profound. Now, Mark Batterson shares this thought. All of us have problems, relational problems, 
emotional problems, spiritual problems, and we think those problems are the problem. But I think many, if not most of those problems, are presenting problems. The root cause of our problem is a hearing problem. It's ears that have been deafened to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. How? One reason is the white noise of our culture. We're bombarded with news and false news every minute of every hour of every day. We've got online advertisers using clickbait. We've got social media algorithms designed to keep us in our echo chambers. It's hard for God to get a word in edgewise, but I don't think this is the primary problem. Our primary problem, according to Mark Batterson, and I agree with him, is our own self-talk. We are deafened by the sound of our own voice, like the opera singer. Now, we talked about this with habit number one, flip the script. Remember when we said that we have 60,000 thoughts that uh, go through our brain every day? And according to the Cleveland Clinic, do you remember, 80% of those thoughts are negative? This is the problem. This is why we need Scripture, to fill our mind with the thoughts of God. It's the way we renew our minds, according to Romans 12. It's the way we tell ourselves a better story. It's the way we turn up the volume on God's voice. I asked a question a few weeks ago, maybe it's worth asking again. What percentage of your thoughts, of your words, of your actions are just a regurgitation of what the news is telling us or what social media is telling us? Again, there are algorithms designed to keep us in our place, to keep our thoughts going in one direction. And I'm going to tell you, it's not the direction God wants us to be thinking. The net result is an ear that cannot hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. So we need to flip the script. What percentage of your thoughts, of your words, of your actions are the revelation you're getting from the Word of God? As, the, as you read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit moves in you and you're focused and you're attentive, this is divine imagination. We've got to be grounded in God's Word. When we open the Bible, God opens His mouth and He speaks to us through His Word. And the best way to turn up the volume on that still small voice is through our daily Bible reading. Now, Let's compare this with verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Do you guys hear that? Do you all hear the sound of a heavy rain? I can't hear a sound of a heavy rain. Now, if there is a heavy rain around here, we would for sure hear it, because when it hits that metal roof, we hear it pretty good. Elijah heard something that no one else could hear. Because it hadn't happened yet. He heard something that hadn't happened, in fact, for over three years. Now, Elijah 
has a prophetic ear. And that's where a prophetic imagination starts. So as we think about having a divine imagination, understanding God's purpose and plan, let me give you a definition. Divine imagination is seeing the invisible, hearing the inaudible, and believing the impossible. Walter Brueggemann says it's this way. The task is reframing so that we can re-experience the realities that are right in front of us from a different angle. Sometimes it takes the form of uh, supernatural gifts as God through His Spirit is a, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Or maybe it takes the form of a supernatural solution that God is taking, uh, like a a spiritual gift of discernment. Either way, I, I call these God ideas. This is about God. This isn't about us. And I'd rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. You know what I mean? So how do we get God ideas? Well, it starts with our spiritual ear. An ear that is fine-tuned to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's precisely what's happening in verse 41. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. So Elijah's forecast seems a little foolish because there's not even a cloud in the sky yet. It seems like Elijah is a little out of touch with reality. Sometimes we feel like our weathermen today are sort of out of touch with reality. But there's this old axiom, those who don't hear the music think the dancer is mad. When you exercise divine imagination, it may seem like you're out of touch with reality, but it's because you are in touch with a reality that is beyond our five senses, things that you can taste or touch or see or smell or feel. You are focused on the spiritual, the Word of God. So we see the clouds with a divine imagination. We know that God is going to move. And then we seed the clouds with patient persistence. In the first century B.C., there was a drought, not unlike the drought that Elijah and his people had experienced, and it threatened to destroy a generation. In fact, this was a generation just before Jesus came. And there was a man who had... An Elijah kind of faith. The people asked him to pray for rain and he did something curious. Now he didn't go up on Mount Carmel. But what he did is he took his staff and he drew a circle in the sand. And he knelt inside that circle and he prayed this prayer. Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. Now that's a pretty bold kind of prayer. And we'll talk about bold prayers in just a minute. But according to the Talmud, Honey, the circle maker, that's the guy who did this, was captivated by one phrase and one verse in Scripture, Psalm 126.1. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. And that phrase, we are like men who dreamed sort of provoked a question that Honey wrestled with his entire life. Is it possible for a person to dream continuously for 70 years? That's the amount of time that the people had been gone from their homeland. 70 years. 
Can you, can you really believe a promise 70 years later? How many of you have ever heard of longitudinal studies? Anybody ever heard of longitudinal studies? Longitudinal studies examine the same individuals over time to detect any changes that might occur in their lives. Now that's funny. I don't want to know about the longitudinal studies of my life because I know some changes that have already happened in, for me uh, in this body, right? But these studies have shown that as we age, the cognitive center of gravity tends to shift from the right brain to the left brain. That, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Basically, the left brain is the center of logic and the right brain is the center of imagination. Now, I'm sure that some of us older folks here um, are thinking, well, of course, we get smarter as we grow older. We become more logical. That neurological tendency presents a problem, though. At some point, most of us stop living out of imagination, of dreaming, of setting goals and thinking about where we can be, and we start living out of memory. We stop creating the future, and we start repeating the past. We stop living by faith, and we start living by logic. And that's when we stop living and we start dying. Most people die long before the date that's on their death certificate, but it doesn't have to be that way. You might remember in Proverbs, uh, the words without a vision, the people perish. <coughs> so vision is a preservative. If you have a vision, you're never past your prime. If you have a vision, you never age out. <coughs> remember that guy named Caleb one of the leaders of the children of Israel as they got out of, uh, you know, they were coming into the promised land. Caleb, at the age of 85, was as strong as he was when he was 40. How in the world could that be? Well, he had a vision. It's an expression of his divine imagination. But guess what? It takes patient persistence. If you want to dream big, you have to think long. You have to play the long game. And one of two things happens over time. Either our memory overtakes our imagination or our imagination overtakes our memory. And imagination is the way we seed the clouds to the third and the fourth generations. And it takes patient persistence. We go back to verse 44 of our text. And I love this when the servant comes back and Elijah has said, hey, what do you see? And the servant comes back and he says, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, that's awfully small, but that isn't the issue. Remember when we said earlier in this series, don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you do little things like they're big things, God can do the big things like they're the little things. And, you know, you have to attempt things that are beyond your ability, beyond your resources, beyond your education, beyond your experience. That's when and where God shows up and He shows off. 
That's what uh, our group that went to Rwanda has done with uh, coming back and having a dream of doing something beyond themselves. And they've helped to create uh, Africa Hope Initiatives U.S. And they're helping out this ministry over in Rwanda. That, that's a God-sized vision and dream. It's been said, do things that are twice your size. In other words, we need to stretch our faith a little. Now, here's another lesson. When you are faithful here, you don't always experience the blessing right away. Have you figured that out already? Maybe you've prayed about something and it hadn't happened right away. Or maybe it hadn't happened exactly the way you wanted it to. But what we can know is that God will bless you somehow, some way, somewhere. Now, the scripture says that Elijah asked his servant to look for rain how many times? Seven times. Now, seven is a significant number in scripture. In Proverbs 24, 16, we read, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. One way I study scripture is by taking a word or a phrase and I plug it into a Bible search engine on my computer. Thank goodness for computers when I'm doing that, right? The number seven in Scripture appears 336 times. And that little phrase, seven times, pops up 38 times. So seven is the number of perfection or completion. So it's used literally and figuratively. And either way, there are so many sevens. Abraham bowed down to the ground seven times in Genesis 33. The priest consecrated the altar by sprinkling it, how many times? Seven times in Leviticus. The word of the Lord is like silver refined, how many times? Seven times in Psalm 12. Jesus told us to forgive not seven times, but how many times? Seventy times seven. But let me just focus on three instances in Scripture. The Israelites circled Jericho. How many times? Seven times. On what day? The seventh day. It's Joshua 6. Naaman dipped himself. This guy with leprosy dipped himself in the Jordan River. How many times? Seven times. 2 Kings chapter 4. And of course, Elijah prayed for rain seven times in 1 Kings 18. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of this counterfactual theory. It asks the question, what if? I mean, the basic idea is determining the cause of something. For instance, if A had not occurred, C would not have occurred. All right, we've all played that game. Now, let's play that counterfactual theory with these three instances. What if the Israelites had stopped circling Jericho after the sixth time? If they stopped, would they have defeated Jericho? Would the walls have come down? What if Naaman had stopped dipping in the Jordan River after the sixth time? Would he have had his leprosy cured? What if Elijah had quit praying after his sixth attempt? Well, I think we know the answer. They would have forfeited the miracle that was right before it happened. 
Seeding the clouds is all about patient persistence. Consistency beats intensity. You keep on keeping on. Jesus said it this way, ask, seek, and knock. And those are verbs, and in the Greek language, present imperative verbs. In other words, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't stop. It's too soon to quit. And some of you are about ready to quit. Some of you are about ready to give up. Some of you have tried and failed or you prayed and it hadn't happened and you're about ready, well, just going to give it up. Don't quit. Patient persistence. Finally, seed the clouds with bold prayer. You can seed the clouds in lots of ways, but none are more powerful than prayer. A bold prayer is a prayer that is beyond our ability beyond our resources, beyond our imagination. In other words, you can't do it without God's help. Remember that our prayers need to be in the will of God and for the glory of God. And it's interesting, every prayer we've read today has all been about people saying, God, I will, you know, to show these people that you are the true God. You are praying for something that seems impossible, but a bold prayer is also a prayer that you prayed a hundred times. And God hasn't answered it when or where or how you asked. But you don't feel released yet, and so you need to keep on praying. Now, I don't know what it is you need in your life today. But I do know that every one of you here needs something. I do know that every one of you is, you believe in God and that's why you're here. And maybe you've been praying about something. It's too soon to quit. Can you, can you hear God counting down? One, okay, they prayed one. They prayed again. Are they going to give up on me? Keep seeding the clouds with faith, hope, and love. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. There are plenty of examples of bold prayers in Scripture. Two stand out to me. In 2 Kings 19, King Hezekiah is faced with this overwhelming enemy who has been mocking his faith and threatening to destroy him. And so King Hezekiah humbles himself before God, and he prays this prayer. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. That's a bold prayer. God answered that prayer, and his enemy had to leave and retreat. Daniel 6.10, when Daniel's confronted with those enemies who wanted to use his faith against him, he boldly prayed. They had tricked the king into making a decree that said that you could pray to no one else but the king. Scripture tells us in verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God 
And what does that last part say? Just as he had done before. You know, sometimes, friends, just the act of praying can be bold, depending on the culture we live in. That we're not going to allow our culture to intimidate us or cause us to stop our prayers. We need to be a people of bold prayers. Don't think that your prayers for the Ukrainian people don't matter. Don't think that your prayers for each other don't matter. I'm going to tell you, when you pray for my sister Elaine, your prayers matter. Most of you probably know that they found a tumor at the base of her spine. Okay? Now, I, don't, I can't remember how many years ago it was. She could tell you. But they found a brain tumor years ago. They were able to remove that. Then they found a nerve sheath tumor some time ago. And she is still here. She is still kicking. And you know what? She is still praying. And she is still serving God. Because that's the will of God. And it's to the glory of God. So I ask you to say your bold prayers on my sister's behalf. Pray for Lee Blankenship and Amy Taylor and Wanda Thompson, all with cancer. Pray. Your bold prayers matter. Our prayers for Craig Price this weekend. Craig had a heart attack yesterday, and they had to take him in. Now, Craig's been coming to our men's study over the last you know, a couple of months saying, man, I've been having these pains and I've been having these tests. They can't tell me what's going on. And now they know. I mean, he could have been gone, but he's still here. They put two stents in. He had one 100% clogged artery. Our prayers for our friend David Rayfield. We prayed for him last week. David's heart is working at a 25% capacity. He's down to 110 pounds. The, the guy, he could be blown away by a whiff of wind. He's having surgery on Friday. You pray bold prayers for David. Your prayers for our church matter. You know, this church is actually a result of prayer. Years before we ever began, there were people who had been praying for a movement of God. They had been praying in their small group that God would move and that God would stir their hearts and they were founding members of this church. Our prayers for Rwanda Challenge, for AHI, for uh, CICM, for 86 Hunger, all, all of these things, they matter. And I hope that you're praying every single day and that these things are a part of that. Your prayers for our nation and leaders matter. You may think that they don't, but they do. Friends, seed the clouds with those prayers. In, in 853 B.C., a king named Jehoram assumed the throne of Judah. He's the fifth king of the southern kingdom. It's 117 years after David has died. And this is what 2 Kings 8.18 tells us. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He killed his brothers so that he would get the throne. But that's not the end of the story. The scripture tells us, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. 
That is such a powerful thought. Now David is long gone. Six kings later. But God has not forgotten his promise to David. He had not forgotten his people. And that's what happens when we seed the clouds. It's not just about your generation. It's about the generations to come. There's no expiration date on love, friends. Because God loves you eternally. We read in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures how long? Forever. There's no expiration date on faith and God's faithfulness. Psalm 146.6 He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful how long? Forever. There is no expiration date on prayer and God's answer to our prayers. Remember that God answers prayer in His timing, not ours. The psalmist writes in Psalm 5, 1 through 3, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For, you, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. This from David, who died over a hundred years before, and now God still remembers. God will not forget you. God will not forget your prayers. We forget stuff all the time, friends. God does not forget. As the famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon once said in a sermon, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, but they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional pluck at the rope. But the one who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all of his might. Is that a description of your prayer? When we pray, if there, is no answer, if there seems to be no answer... We must not lose heart, but continue to come to God in prayer. He wants us to desire Him above things we ask of Him. And by persistently coming to Him, we can draw nearer to His heart and find the satisfaction that our hearts truly need. And you know what, friends? We are beneficiaries of prayers that we know nothing about. I got a mama that I know is praying for me. I don't even know when she does it, but I know she does it. We harvest fields we didn't plant. We drink wells we didn't dig. We live in houses we didn't build. We think right here and right now, God is thinking nations and generations down the line. We think what God does for us is for us. It's never just for us. It's always for the third and the fourth generation. So friends, I hope that you will take these habits, these biblical principles that we've studied over the last seven weeks, and I hope and pray that you will begin to uh, incorporate them into your life and that you will not 
look back in the past because you can't change the past and you won't really be so focused on the future, but you will just say, win the day, today. Flip the script. Kiss the wave. Eat the frog. Fly the kite. Cut the rope. Wind the clock. Seed the clouds. And win the day. Father, we come to you. We ask God that you give us that divine imagination. May your spirit move in us. Give us our goals, our hopes, our desires. Lead us and move us. Help us as we patiently wait for those answers to our prayers. Give us a determination never to quit or give up on you. And maybe to realize that Maybe if there's a problem, maybe it's that we're not listening. We're just listening to the sound of our own voice. We're not listening to you. So, Father, help us to listen. Father, lead us in those bold prayers. Open our eyes to your power and your faithfulness. If it is in your will and for your glory, as Jesus said, keep asking, keep praying, and it will be given. Help us develop those habits in our lives so that we can win the day because we know we don't have to win the days that aren't here yet. We can't do anything about the days that are past, but we can win today. Father, I pray for Craig Price. I pray that you would continue to give him strength and help him to recover from this heart attack. Get him home soon, Father. And we do lift up the family of Amanda Andrews who passed away this past week. Give them comfort and peace, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.